Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Dougie. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Dougie podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero, and thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is meant to open up the often avoided conversation about grief. While we all experience loss during our lives, when it occurs, most of us don't know what to do, how to feel, or how to talk about it. So whether you're grieving a loss or wanting to support someone who is, we hope these podcast conversations will lead to a better understanding of grief and provide ideas and inspiration for how to show up both for yourself and for those you care about. This episode is one in a three-part series about grieving when someone dies of an overdose. Over the next month, I'll be talking with a grieving mother as well as other Dougie Center staff about how to talk with and support both children and teens when someone in their life dies of an overdose. Today, for part one, I'm joined by Jessica. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks for having me. According to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, the total number of deaths from heroin overdoses has increased six times from 2001 to 2014. In one state in the Northeast, it's estimated that heroin overdose deaths have jumped by 85% in the last two years. With this huge rise in overdose deaths, there's really little out there on how to best support those who are left behind. Parents, children, siblings, partners, family members, and friends who are left with broken hearts and so many questions. For some, it's clear on whether the death was intentional or accidental. For others, that question remains unanswerable, along with so many other unknowns. Do these families fall into the category of those grieving a suicide, a medical death, or something else entirely? Jessica first came to the Dougie Center soon after her younger brother, Robert, died. And this month will mark five years since she first got the call that he, had, he was brought to the hospital and was found dead on arrival. And in that time, Jessica really worked to kind of pull the pieces together about what exactly had happened with his death. Immediately after I was told that he had died, I felt like I had to put together pieces of a puzzle Um, I was just told that he was dead, and just in very few words, I didn't get very much information, and called my mom, and she just said, it's Robert. I said, what happened? She said, what's the worst thing you can think of? I said, dead. She said, yes. So in the weeks and months after, um, I felt like I was kind of trying to solve a crime, trying to figure out what happened. There were a lot of questions about how he died, which was through an overdose. He had heroin in his system and Xanax which was not prescribed for him. I only know by reading the toxicology reports. There was not a conversation about it. I was trying to kind of solve a mystery and figure out how he got to the hospital, why he was left there, why nobody called the ambulance if if he wasn't breathing, because there was a, a young woman a few years younger than him that was with him when he died and she dropped him off and pretended like she didn't know him. So that was frustrating. Maybe so far as anger producing. Yeah, yeah, it was infuriating. Brother would never have treated anybody like that, even if getting involved with the law would have been the risk. I mean, to this day, I I still don't know exactly what happened in those final moments, those final hours. 
yeah, it's still somewhat a mystery. Many families, when someone dies of an overdose death, there have been months or years of trying to support somebody who is dealing with a substance addiction. In your family, for Robert, was that a known thing that he was struggling with that, or did this come completely out of the blue? For me, it came almost completely out of the blue. Definitely with heroin use, I never uh, thought that he was using heroin, even after he died. I was convinced that, you know, the vial that they found uh, would not be heroin. Um, his friends told me that they had known that he tried it a couple times, and maybe they think it was his second or third time. That's still what I believe. But I had known Robert to experiment with other drugs, and I, I never thought it was really a problem. I kind of thought it was just kind of experimenting. A lot of stuff that other young people do when, when they're uh, growing up and, and trying trying different things that are out there. Um, he died when he was 24. This was a surprise. We didn't have the experience of trying to get him into rehab or going through um, what I've heard other families and people go through when they're trying to fight an addiction. Um, in some ways, I feel like I wish I had that opportunity. I wish I knew there was there was more of a, a problem or, or maybe I wish I would have seen signs that there was a, a problem. But I also am now aware from being at the Dougie Center and talking to other people who had someone die by an overdose or as addiction, it's not potentially a blessing either to go through that with somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's just really challenging and heartbreaking either way. If we're talking with groups of people who have experienced a death, those who had someone die suddenly often think it's got to be better to have someone mm -hmm. die from a long-term illness and people who have had someone die from the long-term illness think it's got to be better the other way. And we come together and talk and it's like, okay, it sucks absolutely either way. It's exactly. just my experience hurts so bad. I, it's easy to dream that maybe a different experience wouldn't hurt as bad as this one. Exactly, exactly. What's your sense of how the circumstances of Robert's death affected or influenced your grief? You know, Jenna, that's a really hard question to answer because I only know, I only know grief the way it's come to me. It's hard when you don't have something else to compare yeah, it to. Yeah, I don't have anything else to compare it to outside of, you know, having elderly uh, grandparents die kind of old age. Um, I do think that there is a stigmatism from the public about people that die from a drug overdose and some people's responses to his death or potentially even making assumptions about the kind of person he was has invited maybe an element of shame or embarrassment um, or fault to, to my experience. I was concerned, especially in the beginning, that uh, maybe his, his death wasn't as valid as maybe other people's deaths where they didn't actively make a choice to, to cause their death. That somehow it wouldn't be worth, I don't know the right word for that, but somehow he would be at fault and so maybe you don't have as much uh, opportunity or permission to grieve or that his life isn't worth as much? Yeah, I think I'm grieving in a way where I feel like I also have to protect his, Robert's reputation while he was alive. So I feel like I'm grieving the loss of him, but I'm also grieving who other people might assume he was. Mm -hmm. So it's a combination of like, grieving and also feeling like I, I want to, uh, you know, pr protect his reputation and 
it takes the idea of wanting to preserve the memory of someone mm. to a whole different level. Yeah, in some aspects. I mean, people that were close to Robert, his friends and family, know what a great, sensitive, loving person that he was. But I think sometimes, um, as previously mentioned, when, when talking to the general public, it's like, oh, oh, he died of an overdose. What is it you hear mm-hmm. you think they're thinking to themselves? Um, I think an overdose, when someone hears that, typically people might think that, um, you know, it's kind of like some, some, maybe someone that lives on the street that's maybe a really dishonest person, homeless person living in, in an alley somewhere, shooting up, uh, sitting on the ground in a puddle of rain, you know, with like rats all around them mm. or something like a really dire, specifically with, her- with heroin overdose. But um, the reality is that it's happening more and more and uh, more young people are starting to use, use heroin. And, uh, you know, so, so that stigmatism is unfortunately changing a little bit with an increase in, in all sorts of overdose deaths, including um, misuse of prescription medication. And looking back over the last five years, how has your relationship to your grief and to the, the how Robert died changed or shifted, if at all? Yeah, um, I guess over the five years, I've just gotten more used to the idea that he actually died. So in the beginning, I was definitely still in shock and, and really angry and confused and felt like I had to uh, figure things out you know, answers, kind of the mystery of how he died, how he got to the hospital, you know, what was in his system, all these sorts of things. The kind of technical details. The technical details, right? Like I I felt like I was Nancy Drew trying to, you know, crack the case. That became exhausting. And, you know, after after the time passed, um, I just kind of settled into just trying to accept the idea that he's gone and and release, release the idea that I needed to figure these, these, these things out that are potentially unanswerable. I guess I just started to become more grant, grounded in this new reality that I've been presented with, which is not having my brother around and um, just having our family dynamic really change and just, you know, forever, forever grieving him. And You mentioned earlier how people respond mm-hmm. when, you mention, when you talk about how Robert died. Has that changed over time or how how you talk about it changed or how you pick who you talk about it with? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Over time, I have grown to not really care as much what people think um, because one thing that's changed over the five years is that I'm, I'm not as sensitive about what other people's perception is about him dying by an overdose. Was there anything in particular that contributed to that shift for you where you decided, you know, I kind of care a little bit less about what people think if I tell them this. Not specifically. I think it just kind of gradually happened over time. I think as I grew stronger um, in the aspect of being able to experience my own grief and the process, you know, the ups and downs that that grief and understanding this loss has has brought, um, which for me, understanding it will probably be a lifetime's work. But what's coming up for me right now is I remember shortly after Robert died, Whitney Houston died of a drug overdose. And I remember being somewhere, uh, I was actually abroad, and this, this person, a previous partner of mine, uh, made a comment when this came on the television, on the news, about 
her dying and just kind of like, uh, well, of course, you know, just making it that it was her fault mm. because she was using, using drugs. And I remember being so infuriated by that comment. I had to get up from the dinner table. You know, I was in tears and just went in the bathroom because mm. I was around some of his family members. And it hurt so bad that someone that I was close to didn't understand how that would be a sensitive comment to make. So is, and then I think the reason why I'm bringing that up is as much as that hurt me, it also in some ways made me be able to express to other people how inappropriate it is to make those sorts of comments and how hurtful it can actually be. Um, and so in some ways I grew a little bit of a thicker skin through that experience and used that upset um, and the anger to be something that could be in some ways like a little more empowering and, and offered me the opportunity and the chance to speak up rather than not to speak up and, and offer some education around it. You talked to you about feeling just stronger in, I don't know if you said in your grief or in yourself. Mm -hmm. were, were there things that helped with that? No. You know, when, when you, <laughs> when Sorry, you ask listeners, we don't have any answers for you today. Yeah, around exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I think feeling, feeling strong is, um, you know, it's like a tug of war, but it goes back and forth. I mean, I don't think feeling strong is necessarily the, the way forward or how to heal from grief, if there even is a way to heal. Um, I think uh, just in that moment, I had a little little burst of strength to be able to educate and defend um, defend Robert's kind of legacy and, and his actions and the way people think of him. Separate from feeling stronger, are there were there things you discovered along the way that seemed to be supportive or helpful for you in your grief or things that maybe weren't as supportive or helpful? Yeah, well, definitely coming to the Dougie Center was helpful, um, even if I didn't talk about anything. Um, it was good just being in the space to hear other people that are experiencing their grief, whether it was a new grief like mine, whether it was a sibling death or a partner or any, any type of death parent. Um, yeah, so I think that, that was probably the main, the main help and getting outside, getting some fresh air was really helpful too. Uh, journaling, drawing. Um, for a little while I had uh, one of Robert's pieces of pottery in my bedroom and when I wanted to tell him something I would just write it on a little tiny piece of paper and just put it in this pot. It makes me think of we have a, a sculpture here with a little frog that mm. kids like to write messages to the people in their life who have died and they put it in the frog. Oh I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I've seen that frog out there. That's great. I think uh, for me um, giving that time aside from, you know, taking the time outside of my day to just even if I'm drawing and even if it's just mindless, it just really helped me. So we hear that so often of people needing to make time to focus on grief in some way mm -hmm. while at the same time also kind of carrying grief with you all the time, 24-7 yeah. it's with you. But then when people talk about it, I always imagine like when you schedule, you know, this is when I'm going to cook and this is when I'm going to work out and you always mm. have to schedule like yeah. the grief workout. I'm going to do yeah. these things. I wish I could have said, I don't have time for that in my schedule. It <laughs> wouldn't happen. <laughs> Sorry, grief. There's no vacancy in yeah, my calendar. No vacancy. Um, and I definitely fall into that category where I'm usually moving 100 miles an hour throughout my day to day, like getting from one event to another to work, you know, all of these sorts of obligations. So 
that's where I think, again, the Dougie Center was really helpful just to, you know, have, have a place to go and, and know that, you know, I'm not alone. You can come do your grief workout here with other people. Yeah, I mean, the, like you mentioned, really, it's, it's in my veins now forever. It's always, always, always here. So it's probably affecting me much more than I know. I just have to roll with it as best as I can. Well, I really appreciate you coming in today and, and talking with us and sharing so much about your experience with this. Is there anything you think we missed or want to make sure we leave with? Um, no, I mean, I think just the, the main thing is um, kind of how I, I've chosen to remember my brother Robert for the person that he was and the person that I believe he, he still is um, and just keeping that close, close to heart and um, just remembering him for, for that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for all the stories about Robert you've shared with me over the last five years. It's been an honor to hear those. Yeah, thanks, Jan. I look forward to seeing you soon. And thanks to everyone out there for listening today for our episode of the Dear Dougie podcast. And if you have an idea for a topic, we've been getting a couple emails from listeners lately, and they've been so helpful in informing what we're going to be talking about here. So if you have an idea or suggestion, you can send them our way at help at Dougie.org and just put podcast somewhere in the subject line. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Hey listeners, if you're still there, I'm imagining some of you have had the experience of giving a presentation or having a phone call with a friend and hanging up and realizing, oh, I wish I had shared, I wish I had said. And Jessica, our guest, had a similar experience. So this little bit is uh, from her drive home after our podcast recording. Hey Jenna, it's Jessica. I know we just met earlier today for the podcast, but I've been thinking about a question you asked me which was, how has my grief changed over the last five years? Since we met, I've been able to think a little more clearly, and I thought I'd share. When thinking about how my grief has changed over the last five years, I guess I would relate it similar to being like a volume switch, um, let's say like a song or, or a noise that changes in volume. For example, the emotions and feelings that I felt in my body even the physiological sensations of, you know, feeling like I had a, a hole in my chest or in my abdomen um, to the, the feelings of regret and just deep, deep sadness, anger, uh, self-blame, confusion, fear and curiosity about my brother's last moments and, and what he was experiencing and just the heartache you know, the, the volume of those emotions have changed over the last five years. And in the beginning, it was loud, 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 like really just loud noise. And the, the volume has kind of gone down over the years of all of those sensations and those feelings. Granted, every once in a while, the, the volume turns back up and those sensations get loud and palpable. It's just kind of a, a little bit of a back and forth and it's a realization that the noise and the the, the music let's say um, although maybe not an enjoyable music will always will just always be there you know it's it's a new reality for me and that's it that's what I had to add hopefully it's helpful to somebody thanks for your time Jenna talk soon bye Thanks for listening.